We're delighted, as we've said, to have uh, Dr. and Mrs. McClelland with us. And we're thankful that the Lord has remembered you, Sister May, and we're glad that you're here with us at this time. We're also thankful that the Lord's servant is here, and we're going to ask him to come and preach God's Word. Thank you, brothers, for the kind words of welcome. It goes without saying that we're always happy to come to Tandragee, because this is where we... <laughs> Sorry, I put that in your head. <laughs> Back to carriage off. This is where it all started over there at the Malik. We're born. I've told you many times this is the place where my wife had her first education. Amen. This was her school uh, when she was a little girl. And we have found it necessary to come back many times for a fresher course for her. So that's why we're here. Actually, we're here for this wedding. And that's my. Uh, the second grandson of my son that is getting married, we have to marry him. And we have told them that the next time there's weddings, they have to be in the other side of the Atlantic because this is my 98th crossing of the Atlantic. And it's too bad. So when I go home, that'll be 99. So I've got to come back one more time at least to uh, uh, make the 100 uh, crossings of the Atlantic. But it's good to be here and to fellowship with you. And I envy... Uh, David, the two Davids, that they're going to Israel, although perhaps they might need to worry more, not so much about water over his head, but rockets over his head. <laughs> uh, so uh, what he needs to do is pray at this ceasefire. Uh, we'll keep on going until they have their visit and get back. I've always said that a visit to Israel is worth two years in a Bible school because you go there and you see the places that uh, are in the Bible and every time you come to them, uh, in the scriptures, later on, I was there. And you can picture the place in your mind. So it's very, very good. So if you ever get the chance, never been to Israel, uh, go along. You'll find it a tremendous blessing and a tremendous education. So it's good to be here in a fellowship with you. And we trust the Lord will bless us today as we minister the word. We're going to turn to a beautiful Psalm 139. I'm just going to read a few verses and then we're going over to John chapter 2. Uh, so um, if you would uh, uh, keep your finger in John chapter 2. And we'll read at the beginning here at Psalm 139. And we'll read the first six verses of this psalm. Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. And then turning over to John chapter 2 and the last uh, three verses of John chapter 2, verse 23. And here we have in the Holy Land Jesus at the Passover in Jerusalem. John 2 and 23 now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself 
unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And may the Lord bless to our hearts these two, the short readings from his own infallible and inspired word. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee today for the return of thy day, and we bless you, O God, that thou hast not left us to muddle our way through lives, uh, but thou hast given to us the word of God that is forever settled in heaven. And we thank thee, our Father, that in the word there is instruction uh, for us how to live our lives. And we ask you, O God, today that thou would speak to us, that thou would challenge our hearts, that thou, Lord, would also comfort us when we realize how great and how good and how merciful the Lord is. We thank thee, our Father, for everyone here who knows the Lord. We pray that thou would draw them closer to thee. And for those, Lord, who perhaps have never yet come to the Lord, O God, we pray that thou would give them grace this day to call upon the name of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that thou art still able to save those that come unto God by Christ Jesus. We ask thee, Lord, to give liberty in the proclamation of thy word. We recognize that no word that we speak will ever make any impact in any person unless it is directed and delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray for that power this day. The common blesses and bless this congregation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In this past year, a little bit more, I have been studying in our adult Bible class. Yeah, I'm retired, but I still teach in the Bible class. In the Bible class, we've been doing the Gospel of John. And that is a tremendous study and a tremendous blessing it has been to me. Anyhow, I hope it has been to those who have heard. Now, when you're studying a Bible book, it's important to notice what the key words are. Because if the Lord uses a word over and over again, he wants us to make sure that we get the message. And in John's <coughs> Gospel, it's quite obvious the, the key word is the word Father. It appears 118 times in the book. Uh, the word believe is also an important one. It appears 99 times in the Gospel of John. The word world is also important. It appears uh, some 80 times. And there's other words not so often but equally important. Words like light. Jesus Christ, the light of the word, uh, the world, and life, uh, Jesus Christ, the life of the world. But I found one in my study that was a tremendous challenge, uh, both frightening and uh, comforting, and that was the word new. Now, I'm happy to be back home again and be able to say new, because over in Canada, uh, we have to say new, and I don't like saying new, I don't... That's the way they pronounce it, but I'm glad I'm back home, so I say new, and don't have to spell it. You know exactly the word I'm talking about. The word new, with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ, appears 11 times. And it's very interesting. You want to look at that, and I trust it will be a means of blessing and challenge to your soul. Now, there's 11 of them, and I had in mind to preach all the 11, uh, but don't worry, I'm only going to look at the first two, and that means that you'll not be getting a burnt offering and sacrifice uh, for your dinner today. Uh, so we're going to look at the first two, John chapter 2 and uh, verse number 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he 
new. All men, there's the first one. And needed not that any man should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So I want to focus on that expression that appears twice there at the end of uh, chapter 2. What I want to do first of all is to set up the microscope, if you like, on a wide angle, or the camera, whatever, telescope, on a wide angle, and I want to look first of all at Jesus Christ and memory. Now in our day, we are living in the computer age, and my wife dragged me screaming into the computer age of it, 1988 I think it was and we had this wonderful thing called a Commodore 64 that was 64 kilobytes for you young people who know all about these things the 64 kilobytes and we thought that was a wonderful thing that was what we call the Model T Ford of computers and it was very popular because they made over 10 million of them now the computers we use today are about 200,000 times more powerful than the Commodore 64 that we had at that time. And then you begin to think of the giant industrial computers that they use in the world of industry and the mind boggles at the astronomical numbers and figures that they are able to do. Uh, for example, a modern car that uh, they have a computer there that can do about 200,000 calculations every second. Uh, so uh, the mind boggles when you hear this, and uh, we have moved uh, dramatically in our lives. Now, I remember going to school down on the Ravenhill Road, and our teacher solemnly declaring to us, we live in the age of plastics. And that was when they started to make Bakelite and things of that nature. The young ones wouldn't even know what Bakelite is. Uh, but way back in those days, it was it told us it was the world, uh, the world of the plastic. But now we undoubtedly live in the world of the computer. Now, when I was in engineering uh, down in Shorten Harles, we used things called slide rules. I'm sure that the young people today have not a clue what a slide rule is. David McElveen knows what a slide rule is. That uh, those um, things, uh, and then we use things called logarithmic tables. Now the young people today may find that word in their uh, mathematical studies, but to actually use them, we had to use them all the time. And uh, now we have gone to handheld devices that can do the whole thing. Remember the day when they brought the telephone over there to our farm at the Millock. And it was, uh, Yvonne, my sister's here, she will remember that no doubt as well. It was a novelty. And uh, you're almost afraid to use this thing and uh, dial the numbers and so on. It was a novelty. And uh, I wonder how the people in those days ever lived without a cell phone. And yet we seem to manage all right and did okay, sometimes a new telephone and sometimes the very basic uh, telephone. We got one of those uh, uh, smartphones, to say. And I went into the back of the guy in the store and he's telling me all the things he could do. An iPhone could do this, this. I asked him, could you tell me, how do you make a phone call with it? And uh, <laughs> finally he, he told me, how to take a phone call. So we're living in the day of uh, computers. Now the reason why I've told you, this is not a lecture on computers, I've told you this because have you ever stopped to think of the mind and the memory of God? 
because uh, these are computers, they have tremendous memories, uh, but you stop and think about the memory of God because God Almighty has detailed information on every galaxy out there, every um, uh, star out there and so on. He's got all that and all the suns and the planets, what they're made up. Uh, they're, the sense, your people over here spent 10 years sending a rocket out to find a piece of stone out there. We read about this past week, uh, a comet out there and they're out to try and find that thing there. And they're so interested. But God has information of all these things because he made them. And you begin to think that uh, the Lord has practical knowledge of this earth down to the minutest uh, particle, the molecule, the atom, and inside the atom, the electron, the neutron, and the proton. He has information of all that stuff. And the Bible tells us there just in the first chapter of John, and in verse number 10, it tells us there that uh, he was in us, the Lord was in the world, and the world was made by him. And then also in verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that wasn't made. So all things are made by the Lord, and the Lord has detailed information about every single little particle in this world that we live in. Little wonder did the psalmist cry out in Psalm 139, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And so keep in mind the fact that God knows all things about everything in this world and this universe. Now let's focus a little bit closer in our microscope or telescope or whatever and think about Jesus and men. Because I read to you from John chapter 3, and it says there that the Lord was in Jerusalem at the Passover, and then there was people came to him, and then a very strange statement. Verse 24, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men. Now, what does that mean? You look at that and you wonder, you see the influence of the Lord here that it says many people believed in his name when they saw the miracles. So a lot of people responded to the Lord's message and responded to uh, the Lord's miracles. And yet it says the Lord did not commit himself. Why did he not commit himself to them? Because he knew, as it tells us there, what is in man. And he knew among this assembled crowd gathered round him that some of them would believe in him, that some of them would complete their course and would follow him. But he also knew that many of those who were gathered round were there to see his miracle working power and eventually they would turn away. And so the Lord did not commit himself unto them because he understood fully the depth of trust that they all had. And it reminds us of the omniscience of the Lord because you and I we gather information by talking to one another did you hear what so and so did and we talk back and forward and we gather information and so our minds are filled with information we depend on spoken words and also to some degree on uh, bodily language and then of course uh, you realize that Lord Jesus he did not need to do that because it says there in verse 25 
he needed not that any should testify of man. Jesus didn't have to need anybody to come along and tell him, oh, did you hear that so-and-so did so and Did you hear what Herod's up to? He didn't need to ask that because it tells us he knew what was in man. So the Lord had an eye into the, in the hidden recesses of the hearts of everyone. And you stop to think about that, my friend. That is a frightening thought. And I'll explain that to you in a minute. A frightening thought that Jesus Christ knows everything that is in man. Nothing, whatever is hidden. And every thought that you have and that I have is open to the Lord Jesus. He knows about it. Now we tighten the screw a little bit more and the focus a little bit more and we begin to think of Jesus, not in the general sense, but Jesus and me. Now that brings us to our inability because uh, we cannot read one another's minds. I look down and I presume you are thinking to some degree, I don't know what's in your mind. I have no idea. So maybe it's a good idea. I don't know what's in your mind. And uh, at the same time, you're looking up at me and I'm thinking, but you don't know what I'm thinking because we cannot read other people's minds. Sometimes we get it right, but that's by coincidence. Oh, I was, oh, you said that I thought the same thing. That was uh, uh, by pure coincidence. And uh, so um, we have to keep that in mind. Now, politicians are famous. Uh, for speaking, you will listen to them. They ask them a question, and if they answer the question, it'll probably be the first time it's ever been done because they will just say what they want you to know. And uh, so you hear the words and say, but I just wish I knew what he's actually thinking. What's he thinking about? He's saying this, but what's he thinking? But then, of course, that's not just for politicians. That also applies to preachers. Because preachers, they can uh, speak and uh, say uh, what uh, they want the people to hear. And uh, sometimes you wonder, well, what exactly is he thinking? What is behind what he is saying? And again, not just politicians and preachers, but people. The people will say things, but behind what they're saying is a entirely different matter altogether because their thoughts are not exactly in sync with what they are saying. Now, we can carefully guard what we say in public. And the politicians have to be very careful what they say in public because if they say something wrong, it's going to be in the press and they're going to be in trouble. So we can carefully guard what we say. But what about our thought processes? Because the thought processes may not be exactly the same as that which is in our mind. What are we really thinking? Now, mercifully, we do not know what other people think of us personally. That's a mercy of God. But my friend, the Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly what you're thinking at any given time. Keep that in mind as one of your thoughts. Now, listen to um, Psalm 139 again. And uh, when you read it, tremble. Because it says there in verse 2, the psalmist speaking, Thou knowest my 
down sitting in mine uprising, thou understandest my thought afar off. Now, right now, a good part of our family is over here for this wedding coming up on Wednesday, but we have still some that are left in Toronto. I think of my uh, granddaughter Esther, as she's over there, and she couldn't be with us, got a little baby, and so she can't uh, come over. But uh, I wonder, what's Esther thinking this morning? What is she thinking? She's got up, a little baby there, going to church this morning. What's she thinking? And I have no idea what she's thinking. Because she's 3,000, 3,500 miles away. I have no idea what she's thinking. But my friend, God knows. Because it says he understands my thought afar off. And the fact that he is in heaven and we are on earth does not uh, stop him from understanding. Uh, so it says he understandeth my thoughts afar off. And then in the verse number 4, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. And that doesn't mean to say that the Lord understands the words that we speak. He understands the words before we speak, before we form them. The Lord knows about them. And so today, just let's get in our mind that the Lord, he understands our thoughts and he understands our words and he knows all about them. No other God can do that. Allah can't do that. Buddha can't do that. Confucius can't do that. But Jesus Christ can. And notice he says, Thou knowest um, my thoughts afar off. And then in verse 3, there's not a word in my tongue. So it's personal. So it's my thoughts and my words. The Lord knows about them altogether. And so, friend, keep in mind the fact that while you can conceal from those nearest and dearest to you the innermost thoughts of your heart, you cannot conceal them from the Lord because the Lord sees them and he knows all about them. Now, now we bring the focus right down very, very close. Our thought is invisible. All of us here are thinking at this present time. I look down, I can't see your thoughts. Uh, I can judge a little bit from what I can see, but I, I can't see your thoughts. And the neurosurgeon who's working in the brain he may observe the flow of electrons and so on in the brain patterns and the impulses, but he cannot interpret them. He can see these things on his electrical equipment, but he cannot interpret what he sees. But Jesus can, and Jesus knows. This last few months there has been a a murder trial going on in South Africa. It is the trial of Oscar Pistorius, the Blade Runner who ran in the Olympics. And as most of you know, he shot his girlfriend through the bathroom door in their place. And uh, the trial has been going on. It's now in the hands of a judge to give the result. And uh, <coughs> the defence are saying that he didn't mean to do it. He thought that in the bathroom in the house was an intruder. And so he shot through the door and he killed what he thought was an intruder. But the prosecution says, no, he didn't. It wasn't an accident. 
he deliberately wanted to murder his girlfriend because they had a fight and they had an argument. Now how do you tell who's truth? The only one who knows that is Oscar Pistorius. He's only one. So the, the defence and the prosecution are trying to put forward their cases for and against, but the only one who knows is him. But the Lord Jesus knows. Jesus knows exactly what his intentions were. We can misread a case. We can look at the evidence and we can judge wrongly. But Jesus Christ never judges wrongly. He knows exactly all the details of the thing. Because Jesus sees and knows our thoughts. Now remember that sin always starts in the mind. Because what the devil does, he comes along and he plants a temptation there in your mind. Now when he plants the temptation there, it is just his temptation. But when you take that thought and you dwell on it and then perhaps begin to act on it, his temptation because becomes your sin. And so therefore we need to be very, very careful about our thoughts. Now on your computer, if you have one, and most people have them today, there's a button there called delete. And you press that button delete and all on the screen goes. It's a good thing in mind when the devil brings a temptation to say, Lord, press the delete button. Take that away. Get rid of that thought, Lord. And uh, the Lord, I believe, answers a prayer like that. Now Jesus warns us in Matthew 15 and verse 19 that the heart is a wicked thing. 15 and 19 of Matthew, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. And Jeremiah tells us the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? So we've got a problem, and the problem is with the heart and with the mind and the thoughts. Now this morning, let us remember that there are all kinds of thoughts. There are good thoughts, like I can look down and say, you're a nice bunch of people. That would be a good thought to have. I could also say that uh, the grass is nice and green. That's a sort of a neutral thought. There's no moral content to that. The grass is just a factual thought. The grass is green. But this morning we're thinking particularly not of the good thoughts and the neutral thoughts. We're thinking particularly of the bad thoughts. And that's where the problem arises. And let's just for a minute think a little bit about those thoughts. Keeping in mind that the Lord, he's watching. He's aware of them as we do them. First of all, there is the sinful thoughts. And all of us bar none. All of us are guilty of sinful thoughts. And especially unclean thoughts. And the Lord knows about those unclean thoughts. And the world has a problem in this computer age. Man is different from the animal kingdom because he can use tools. A knife is a good tool that you can butter your bread with it, cut your bread, cut your meat with it. It's a good tool. But that knife can be used to stab and kill somebody. So our tools have a good 
further use and they also have a bad use. And the computer is a very good tool in many ways that a lot of our ministers now, they are actually, uh, instead of using a sheet of notes like I do, the old-fashioned notes, they now uh, take their iPads into the pulpit and they can scroll down their notes in the thing. So that's a good use. But the computer today is full of very bad stuff. Very bad stuff. And uh, children, particularly and young people, they discover the code to type in and they can bring up the most vile stuff. And not just children and young people, but adults as well. There are men uh, and women, but mostly men, who are focused on to uh, dirty books. They look at them and they think nobody can see because it's in the privacy of their own home or something. But the Lord sees. And the same with the computer. You can bring something up and you can dwell upon it and you can feed your lust with it. And you think nobody sees you. And if somebody comes in, you do press the delete button and it's gone. They can't see. But my friend, the Lord sees. Jesus sees and Jesus knows. So we have a, a problem. And that's why there's a good prayer to pray. Lord, never let me get into a situation where I could damage my testimony and uh, damage and dishonor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good prayer to pray every day. Because all of us are tempted. Lord, never let me get into a situation where I could damage my testimony or dishonor your name. Then there's uh, egotistical thoughts. There's two sorts of them. There is the guy who comes along and says, I am a, what a good boy am I? I can do this, I can do that, I can do the other. Listen to some of the sports people as they are interviewed after winning something and they say, oh, I did well, I, I shot well, I, whatever I do, I, I did it well. And they're boasting. When the Bible tells us, in my flesh, there is no good thing. So uh, we can boast. And then there's the other egotist, and he's the one, don't tell me. I know. I'm right. Nobody else could possibly be right. I know I'm right. The Lord knows all about those thoughts. Uh, judgmental thoughts. Because over there in Romans uh, chapter 14 and verse 4, very good question. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? to his own master he standeth or falleth yea he shall be holding up for God is able to make him stand <coughs> and uh, one of the problems is that we can become very very critical I remember when I worked in Short and Harlands laying off the, the load of some fellow beside me and he said you've been far too critical and he was right I was but we can criticize others and uh, how uh, they do it or don't do it and the whole time the Lord is telling us that we stand to him and uh, if we look after ourselves we've got enough to keep us going without ridiculing other people so there are thoughts, judgmental thoughts and some people are envious of the success of others a Christian should rejoice when others are going on and doing well in the work of God but uh, there are those who uh, or they wouldn't admit it, 
but they are actually envious and jealous of those who are going on and doing well with the Lord. But remember, we answer to God. Then there are untrue thoughts, or dishonest thoughts. We can tell untruths, and we can also withhold the truth. But let us remember that when we are using lies or fraud or whatever, let us remember that the Lord Jesus reminded us that the devil is the father of lies. And when we do anything that is dishonest, the Lord knows that, and we are not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are following that old rascal, the devil, and we're sinning against God by so doing. Then there are motivational thoughts. What is the motivation in my life, the great motive behind the work that I'm doing? We often say that we're to do it for the glory of God. And that's easy to say. But are we actually doing it for the glory of God? Or is there some idea of self-aggrandizement that I might appear good and better because of the things that I'm doing? Our motive should be the love of God in Christ Jesus. And we do all things. Remember McDonald's, the old uh, hamburger place? Uh, they used to have uh, a great little jingle or an advertisement. And uh, they were advertising their breakfast. And the little jingle was, we do it all for you. And that's very nice to say. But we know that actually they're doing it for profit and to make money. But to say, we do it all for you. But for the Christian... That's a good thought to think, Lord Jesus, what I do with my life, we do it all uh, for you. So motivational thoughts are there. There's another one that's a problem, and that is unwanted thoughts. Because sometimes thoughts come into your mind, I don't want that thought. I don't want that. I don't want to dwell on that. I don't want that. So they come in, and Jesus knows all about them as well. And so we have to deal with those. Then there are negative thoughts. that uh, I was asked some years ago to go and speak to a, a, a senior school, a collegiate we call them. And uh, they asked me to come to speak to a class about rock music. And I had a wonderful time. I was never asked to come back again for obvious reasons. But I went along and delivered my message. But the one thing I noticed was in the classroom, and these are young teenagers, pictures that they had drawn, and every one of them was negative. Things like rape and murder and robbery and all the rest. I spoke to teachers in Oriental. I spoke to her and said, have you nothing positive to teach the young people? You're teaching them nothing but negative thoughts. And there are people who have lots of negative thoughts it's not how can it be done, it's how can it not be done. And so uh, we need to pray, Lord, rid us from negative thoughts. And there's money thoughts, you see. That's a good one because uh, you can't read a person's mind. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. The problem is with the love of money. And uh, again, people have thoughts about money, and only they and the Lord knows uh, how much emphasis in the lives are placed upon the acquisition of possessions and so on. I love the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. did a study in it a few years ago. 
And uh, you go down through that and Solomon posed the question that after you die, who shall these things be? All the things that you've worked and laboured and slaved for to get and gather round you, when you die, who gets them? And the person who does get them, will they look after them the way you did? Probably not. And uh, I could give you illustration after illustration, even uh, from the area where I lived down there at the Melech. uh, So that's a problem. Sports is another one. There's nothing wrong with sports, generally. But uh, sometimes people become so addicted to sports that uh, their thoughts are always, and uh, even in a church service, like I remember, I used to race motorbikes, and that was on a Saturday in the grass track, and then on Sunday in the services. Uh, while they're praying, boy, if I had just uh, maybe changed the, the gear ratio, it might have been a little bit better. And when they're singing the hymns, Next Saturday, we're going to so-and-so. And then, uh, throughout, you're thinking of other things. And my friend, that's not a good thing uh, to have thoughts like that. So, these are uh, just a small list of the thoughts that we have that the Lord is aware of. And I'm not going to prolong this list. Uh, you can think of more yourselves. Uh, but there's enough there to get us to think seriously that we are open books to the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing is hidden, nothing can be hidden uh, from uh, his all-seeing eyes. And uh, Spurgeon had a good statement, O Jehovah, how great thou art, if thine eye has such power, that is to look in and to see all within us, uh, what must be the united force of thine whole nature? So keep in mind that the Lord knows. Now, uh, Psalm has told us in 66, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So here's a hindrance to prayer. If I have iniquity in my thought processes, the Lord will not hear my prayer. And so he said, well, this is a hopeless situation because we all have uh, uh, negative thoughts and so on. This is a hopeless situation, but it's not. Because the psalmist went on to say, Verily, God hath heard me, and hath attended to the voice of my prayer. But blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Because we are dealing with a God of mercy, as revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus, our Saviour from sin. And today we are in the right place. If if I have touched something in your heart today, and you realize that, Lord, I've got a problem with that, that if I've touched something, you're in the right place. Because in the house of God, in the place where uh, it is a house of prayer, and you can pray that the Lord would give victory. In closing, let me just remind you of Jesus and mercy. What does Jesus do with all this knowledge of us? He's got all this knowledge. He knows exactly what we're thinking and so on. What does he do with it? Well, if you read Psalm 139 closely, you'll find that this intimate knowledge that the Lord has is both protective and helpful. It is not judgmental and condemning. And again, Spurgeon said, How well is it for us to know the God who knows us? So God knows us. 
knows every detail about us, but we need also to know him and to realize that he is a God of mercy. There was never a time uh, when this knowledge was not known to the Lord. We are never beyond his observation. And uh, we do know that, as it says in Deuteronomy, from the beginning of the year, even to the end thereof, there's not a second, but his eye is over us and is looking upon us and he blesses us. Now, uh, I said that uh, our thoughts sometimes are a problem. What are you thinking? What am I thinking? What are you thinking about me? What am I thinking about you? And so in our daily intercourse with people, we are thinking about what they think about us and vice versa. And we don't know. But the big question is, what does God think about us? It doesn't really matter what you think about me or I think about you. What matters is, what does God think about all of us? And the answer to that, fortunately, is a real blessing because in... um, Jeremiah 29 and 11, if you want to note that down. The Lord looks on us in love and he says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. So we don't know what God thinks, but he tells us, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. And what are they? He says, thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. Now what does that mean? That means there's a future and there is a hope. Now what a blessing you have there in First John 1. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Amen. Not just some sin, sins, not just most of our sins, but cleanses us from all sin. Of the hands, of the feet. And of the mind. The blood of Jesus Christ uh, cleanses them <clears throat> all uh, totally away. And what a blessing that is. And again the same chapter tells us that if we confess our sins. <clears throat> he is faithful and judged, uh, just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some unrighteousness. Not most of unrighteousness. But all unrighteousness. So thank God there's cleansing and there's salvation. So the Lord gives us a future and he gives us a hope. We have been enjoying this last few days just looking around Ulster and look out from Barbara and Wilfie's house up there. Look and the view is just absolutely spectacular. You people who live here probably don't appreciate it. But you've got to go away to somewhere else uh, to be able to look back and uh, see just how much beauty you have here in this uh, province of Ulster. But the hymn says, There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we see that afar. That is heaven that the Lord has prepared for them that love him, and what a blessing that will be. So we bring this message this morning with two things in mind. Number one, keep in mind that Jesus sees everything, knows every thought, knows every word that's in your mind. And that in itself is a powerful blessing because when we think and realize that the Lord does see these things, when they 
unwelcome thought comes in, immediately we remember the Lord knows about this. I better stop thinking about that. And you press the delete button, out you go, and you get on to more hopeful things. So it's a powerful deterrent uh, to sin itself and the evil thoughts if you remember that Jesus is reading those thoughts every second of every day. And then remember his words to the seven churches in Asia. Again, you study the seven churches and you'll find that there's one repeating statement. I know thy works. He knows uh, the evil works we do. He knows the evil thoughts that we have. But he also knows the other things. He knows the cup of water that is given in the name of the Lord or in the name of a disciple. And so thank God today while we are sinners, sinners exceedingly and not worthy of the least of God's mercies, he has blessed us with the very greatest of his mercies, that is the gift of his son to be a prince and to be a saviour. May the Lord help us then today to keep in mind these things and to pray, Lord, make me the best that I can be for thee, that my life may tell for thee, that others may read the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before thee today, and Lord, this is a frightening thought, that thou dost know all about us, but we thank the Lord for comforting thought, that the Lord Jesus, he is the one who died for our sins, to blot them out. And so, Lord, as thou dost look upon thy people, thou dost see us as if we had never sinned. We thank thee, O God, that thou hast put them behind thy back, thou hast buried them in the sea of thy forgetfulness, thou hast blotted them out as a thick cloud. And, Father, we pray that thou would help us day by day uh, to walk in a sanctified manner that will well please him to thee and will bring glory to thy name. And, Father, should there be a soul here this morning without God and without Christ in this world or in the world to come, we ask, O Lord, that thou would awaken them to realize that the Lord knows their thoughts and that those thoughts need to be blotted out by the blood of the Lamb. Bring them, we pray, to Christ and save them by thy grace, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs>